Hi, everyone. It's Gracie, co-host of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. As we shared in our last episode with council member Christina Henderson on educator debt relief, we see advocacy as a central component for educator wellness in Washington, D.C., where we live and beyond. To create an enduring system for both students and teachers, we need change that uplifts work-life harmony for educators and helps them to avoid burning out. This week's conversation goes deeper into that theme. We were so excited to interview council member Robert White about his new legislation, the Educator Retention for Student Success Act of 2023. This proposed bill strives to holistically address educator wellness and retention through innovative measures like flexible scheduling for teachers, better pay for paraprofessionals, and providing more wellness coordinators in schools. This bill reflects so many great ideas that come directly from educators, so we really believe they will be effective. As you'll hear in our discussion, Councilmember White understands the deep importance of mental health for students, for educators, and for himself. We discuss concrete ways to support mental health and create real equity in schools. As you'll hear, high school was a difficult time for Councilmember White, so this wellness measures of this bill are quite close to his heart. If you live in Washington, D.C., please consider signing up to testify at this bill's hearing on November 21st. We need DC council members to hear why the measures of this bill would keep quality teachers in our schools. Please see the show notes for the link and remember to sign up by November 17th. If you have any questions about how to prepare testimony or anything else, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at wellness at weareempowered.org. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. Today, we are very excited to have at-large D.C. Council Member Robert White join us. Council Member. Hey, Scott. Very, very glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, Council Member White. I'm always so curious about this because I'm very passionate about wellness, and I know the kind of schedules that you all keep on the council. So I, I would like to know how you incorporate wellness into your life as a council member, as a father, as a D.C. resident. It might be a bad day to ask that because I am exhausted and in need of a day off. But I, with, without like exception, I eat every day, plenty of times a day. I try to go to sleep at normal hours, but I have young kids and an old dog. Uh, so those are the factors there. And I exercise five to six days a week between just working out and, and playing sports. These little pockets I sort of dedicate to physical and mental wellness, wellness, I also see a therapist and while I'm working out, I listen to audiobooks. So I feel like I'm taking care of myself the best I can with little windows. I'm super impressed. That's all really great for anyone who has kids and the old animals. They really do keep you up at night. Yes, they do. (laughs) I'm curious about also when you were growing up and going to school and how the schools that you went to supported your wellness or ways that you wish that the schools that you went to had supported your wellness. Yeah, I don't think schools did a very good job of supporting wellness back in my day. I had some difficult times in school. Uh, Some people know this, um, but I lost my mom to breast cancer and then was in a near fatal car accident within a few weeks of each other. Uh, And I had a really, really difficult time. It took me a lot of years to get back on track in school. And I wish two things. One, that there was some attention to my mental health as a young person. This is something I've had to really just over the past three, four years start realizing that some of the things I struggled with from my youth are things that have really kind of 
harmed me along the way and I'm working through them now. I wish I had some understanding of what mental health was and how to address it as a, a young kid. But also after I got off track in, in terms of my academic performance, I, I think I just didn't learn the way most kids learned. And it would have been helpful to have some normalizing of the idea that not all kids learn the same way and we have to educate uh, kids differently and kind of meet them uh, where they are. So those are things that I think, you know, a lot of people, older people kind of can look back and say, yeah, we could do a lot better. But that gives us an opportunity to do better for our kids and the, the kids coming through uh, the school system now. Yeah, look at where, you, where you've come and what you're doing and like what an amazing way to transform what sound like some very difficult life experiences into a lot of change for everybody. So thank you. Yeah, it's exciting to, to be in a position to do that. Well, what about your teachers when you were growing up? Do you remember any teachers that you were close to? Did any? I know teacher retention is your thing. So did any of them leave teaching? Have that impact you or, or your uh, classmates? I got very lucky. Most teachers, because I was uh, a student who had some behavioral problems and, and did very poorly academically, most teachers wrote me off and it, and it hurt me in a way that I don't think they appreciated. But there were a couple teachers who did it. And uh, I had a, uh, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Carter, always stuck with me and pushed me. And she said something to me when I was in eighth grade, because I was always acting out. She said, Robert, you need to make better decisions and you need to learn how to play the game. I always sort of viewed myself as this like iconoclast and rejected things that didn't make sense. And her point was, okay, that's fine when you get to a place where you can do something about it, but you need to make sure you play the game so that you can get to a place where you can do something about it. And, and I really appreciated that. And she took me in as, as part of her family. And so I will always be grateful to, to Mrs. Carter. Um, I also had a, uh, a principal uh, who came into the school when I was in junior high school. And they said, look out for that kid, Robert White. He's a troublemaker. And the first time I met her, she said, I've heard about you and I don't believe the things that they've said. Um, and that meant something to me because then I wanted to prove her right. Um, and I, I just I really appreciated that. And so as I think about kids who might have behavioral issues or struggle in school, I think about that teacher and that principal uh, and the impact that they had uh, on me just by seeing me as a person and making me feel seen as a person. Yeah. And those relationships, I mean, I think a lot of people can go back and, you know, think about a couple of teachers. Definitely. I can. It's uh, a teacher in high school who kind of gave me, you know, you talked about that kind of strategic mind. I, I think that's obviously still with you in a lot of ways as you think through how do I achieve the big things I want to achieve, but also kind of there's a game that has to be played to get there. I have to have a, have the strategy uh, because right. it doesn't pay off for people. So one of those things that, you know, you helped us strategize on is how we solve this teacher retention crisis in D.C. is we have 30 percent of our teachers from school year 21, 22 to 22, 23 left our classroom. It's unbelievably high levels of instability for some of our students who need stability in their life the most. And school is really a place where they should be able to expect that in many places of their life. They don't have it. And then if we take that away from them in school, you know, it really undermines them even Further, So, you know, we're so appreciative that you've introduced the Educator Retention for Student Success Act and that it has a hearing coming up yes. um, on November 1st at 2 p.m. And the bill does a lot of important things, but let's start with its focus on educator well-being. The bill provides mental health days to educators and provides wellness coordinators to support both student and staff wellness efforts. 
it's an especially important step because we have a shortage of clinicians in schools, something you've also been at the forefront of addressing. And congratulations on the passage of this Pathways Bill that will help you. people go through UDC and um, become um, social workers. Um, but when you talk about wellness for educators in schools, what impact do you think those provisions might have on educators staying in the classroom? I think it'll have a huge impact, most importantly, because these are not ideas that sort of I cooked up in my head. These are ideas that came from teachers and the work that Empower Ed did to ask teachers, what do you need to stay in the classroom? That's the key question. And then when folks answer, you need to listen to them. So as someone who believes in the importance of, of, of mental health, we have to make sure we provide mental health days for our teachers. Teachers are people and real life is going on around them and in their lives. And sometimes they need to just say, time out. I need to deal with these things. I need a day off. And, and we have seen particularly in, in the, the era of COVID, a lot of people make the decision to leave careers, even without a next step to protect their mental health. And that is important to do. But someone shouldn't have to leave a career in order to protect their mental health, especially if they add real value in the classroom. So that first provision of providing at least two mental health days to to educators in in D.C. public schools is something that I think is uh, phenomenally important. Yeah. And so this other idea is about providing wellness coordinators to schools. And I'll just say, you know, Gracie and I know and all the partner schools we work with, this is something that we've seen, right, from the grassroots that there are schools that have them. And it's a tremendous help for really having someone thinking about this every day, right? Just someone in the school building thinking about what can I do not only for the educators' well-being, but for the students' well-being and think about wellness holistically as how do I implement this in the culture of a school. Tell us a little bit more because you've been working on the clinician and social worker issue, how, how you see these two things going together, potentially the importance of having social workers and clinicians, but also having a wellness focus. Absolutely. So on the wellness focus, most of us are not professionals in this space. What does wellness look like for me in this space? So we need someone in the schools who can help answer that question for them. We need a wellness coordinator to track How are we taking care of teachers? What resources do they need? How can we provide them and make them easily accessible? But then we need the professionals in the schools doing that, which is one of the important parts of the free masters in social work program that will be at the University of the District of Columbia uh, because of the bill that that we got passed yesterday that that I introduced about a year and a half ago. We need more uh, people in the mental health space, more social workers, and we need to make it easier to get into that field. So starting at the beginning of 2025, D.C. residents will be able to go to UDC for free to get their master's in in social work, and it will include a stipend, money for books and transportation. So these things go together. We need to provide the resources, but we need to make sure the pipeline of professionals is there as well. That's great. And I think it's just really amazing the way to hear you talk about mental health, just in the beginning saying, I go to therapy. And I see that as a form of self-care and that you're saying like teachers need this. And and I think we've been so hesitant to even talk about mental health and, and our culture in Washington, D.C. and what that means. So I, could you say a little bit more about how you've learned to like talk about mental health or how you've learned to see mental health as something that needs to be addressed? Yeah. When, when I started seeing a, a therapist about four years ago, it was a, a, a block on my schedule 
And nobody other than my chief of staff knew what that block was because there is a stigma around the issue of, of mental health. And the more I focus on mental health, the more I've come to understand a couple of things. One, just like all of us need a doctor if we have a, a broken bones, uh, all of us have experienced things in life that 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 cause us issues. And so I, I believe and always say there are two types of people in this world, people who have mental health issues who know it and people who have mental health issues and don't know it. But the other thing I realized was that as a professional, as an elected official, and as a Black man, it is important for me to normalize this thing by talking about it so that other people aren't trying to hide the fact that they see a therapist or don't want to go to a therapist because they're afraid it will impact their career or people's perception of them. So some of this is growth and some of it is personal responsibility. That's amazing. And and I do think we're in this era right now where people are starting to say, like, I see a therapist, like, I have anxiety, I struggle with depression, and that we, the more of us that say it, I really believe that if we could all just start to admit it, then we're like, if you're depressed and you're anxious and you're overwhelmed, we're like, maybe we're not the problem. Like, maybe the system itself is kind of the problem yeah. and there's too much stress in the systems, I think. But I do think the first step is that we have to not feel shame about it and we have to not hold it inside. So yeah. thank you for being a role model in that. And I hope it's okay to share. I think one time we reached out about an event that we were hoping you could attend. And I think your scheduler got back and said that the council member is taking a personal day for his mental health that day. And I was like, I'm so impressed that they just said that. And it's really important. I think every time you can communicate it outwardly, that like, I'm a council member and I do this and I'm, you know, I'm not giving you some other reason. I'm telling you this is for my mental health. I think that's so great that it's communicated transparently in that way and, and to send that message. It is. It really is. So another critical part of this bill that I'm very, very excited about is a paraprofessional task force. Um, and Empowered, you know, we work with all educators. We work with DCPS teachers. We work with charter school teachers. We work with paraprofessionals. And, and over the years, we've had some incredible educator fellows with us that have been paraprofessionals that have, you know, enlightened me so much about what it is like to be a paraprofessional, the struggle to move from being a paraprofessional into being a fully licensed uh, teacher. And for years, especially during the pandemic, paraprofessionals, teachers, aides, they've been asked to step up and do the work of lead teachers. They're regularly providing essential support to students uh, and to educators, right? And they're doing all of that at a sub-living wage uh, often in terms of their salary. So we've long advocated for trying to lift up paraprofessionals, make sure they have certification, increase that pathway for them. But it's also a huge deal in terms of educator diversity because our paraprofessionals are much more representative often of our students than our lead teachers. So tell us a little bit more about what this would do, this part of the, of the bill and why you care about it. Yeah, I'm glad you raised uh, this part of the bill. So this bill would would create recommendations for uh, compensation, what paraprofessionals are, are paid, uh, making sure that they are regionally competitive, competitive and, and actually a living wage. Because what we have found is one, paraprofessionals in DC have not received a pay increase since 2017 and are significantly underpaid compared to nearby jurisdictions, but also underpaid compared to what they need to live here and compared to the work that they do. So as a dad of, of young kids, I can tell you at Shepherd Elementary, Ms. Smith, Ms. Shepherd, uh, Ms. Prince, 
they have been incredible for my girls um, and very proud uncle moment. Uh, I'll share that within the past couple of months, uh, my niece, Tammy, uh, fulfilled a longtime dream of getting into the classroom. She is a paraprofessional uh, now uh, in early childhood uh, education class and a pre-K class. Um, and the way that my girls talk to me about the work that the paraprofessionals in their classrooms do always remind me of how important they are. And again, particularly with the younger kids, we're asking teachers, one to two teachers in the classroom, to be attentive to the well-being, the growth, the development, the education of these tiny humans who haven't figured it all out yet. And the paraprofessionals are playing such a critical role. It's important work. It's exhausting work. We're asking them to show up in a big way for our young people. Well, we have to show up for them as well, because I believe that people who are talented in these roles should be able to stay in these roles. And I don't want compensation or lack thereof to be the reason uh, that people leave. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, just speaking for my own kids, like they, they're not talking about the paraprofessionals or the teacher aides any differently from the teachers, right? I mean, in their mind, it's not like these, this is my lead teacher. And this is, another, these are all the adults who are teaching them in the That's building. Right. I think all of those people are having an impact on their life and deserve to have a salary that, that shows that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And with my young kids, my son, he went through kindergarten last year and didn't have a paraprofessional because they couldn't fill that space. Wow. So I think it's something to think about that we need these people in classrooms. And if they if we don't provide a living wage for them, people aren't going to want to take those jobs. They, they won't. And if I could just say one other thing I had, uh, the parent of a paraprofessional reach out to me frustrated that her daughter, uh, a native Washingtonian who's worked in a classroom for years, can't afford to live in D.C., and that's a legitimate concern. It's also a really sad reality uh, that somebody who has been in our school system, who grew up in the city, who has given back to the city in this way, can't afford to live here. Things like that have to be a wake up call for us. Well, I one of the things I really love in working with teachers is meeting the teachers who feel very cynical that change is possible within the system and then proving them wrong to say like, okay, you don't think this can change and we're going to work with your principal. I'm like, wow, this can actually start to change. And you're doing this at a very big level. But I imagine that you encounter a lot of cynicism too, that there are teachers who are like, I have testified and we've been complaining about this for years and it, the council is not acting enough or the change is just not happening. How do you speak to those people or what would you want them to hear and understand right now? I want them to understand, and I do have these these conversations like you. I, I like proving proving them wrong, but but I, I remind them that change doesn't happen overnight. And luckily, we can point to some substantial and concrete things that we have gotten done, and, and help them to see that the process does work sometimes, and understand why it doesn't work all the time, and how it can be better. Sometimes the issue is in an imperfect system. You have to think about things. Like like as Scott said earlier, strategy. That's something that Empower Ed is actually really good at, like strategy, figuring out what the, the goals are and then figuring out a strategy to, to get them accomplished. Because 10,000 people show up to council members and to uh, the Wilson building every day saying, we need you to fix this thing and you know do your job get this thing done and so if everybody's kind of running around with their uh, like a chicken with their head cut off you're not getting anything done 
But every once in a while, someone walks in the door and they say, we have a problem and we have a proposed solution. And here's why we think it can work. And we're like, whoa, hey, this is something we can work with. We can move it over the finish line. So sometimes I can give feedback to teachers who think the system doesn't work and say, hey, here's a different way to strategize on this. Or here's the thing that I think it's tripping you up um, so that we can get better with uh, the, the strategy behind get, getting these things done. But in D.C., I think we've shown over the past few years, uh, particularly in the early childhood education space, that we can get some difficult things done, even if it takes longer than we want. Yeah. And we've gone through this whole conversation without talking about one of the things we think is the most important part of the bill, which is the flexible scheduling pilot. And we've been able to do that because part of this passed already that we were able to pass uh, that part or at least a lot of it in the budget last year. And so that is proof. And when we sent out the email to our list of 9000 educators in the city and said, we did it, we we got funding for flexible scheduling. We have never had as many clicks on an email (laughs) in PowerEd's six years of existence. I looked at the, and I was like, 40% of the 9,000 people opened this email or something. And the responses, and I I think that's, there is a hunger, right? For people to feel like it's possible for things to get better. And we saw that then. And then all these people were like, oh, well, maybe, maybe I do have a little bit of time to get involved. And maybe I could, maybe I could do this because they start to feel like, um, well, if that was possible, maybe more is possible. And all the time in our school-based work, we talk about like, what we're trying to affect is, look, there's some people who might leave in the next year, and maybe we can't do anything about that now. But there's a lot of people who say, I think I'm I'm thinking about leaving in the next year or two. And we can do something about them. Because often what those people are saying is, I want to stay, I want to teach, I love these children, I love this school, but something has to get better. Yeah. Um, and if they see something, right, uh, that moves it in the right direction, that's enough for them to hold on. And if we can keep giving them more and more and more of that something, we can keep that hope up and keep the teachers in the school. So we just thank you for all the work that you're doing at your level on the council to try to move that forward. And we got to just keep doing more together to, to make that happen, because the well-being of our educators is the well-being of our students. That's right. Yeah. Happy to do my part. You all are doing most of the hard work. And I think you're right to point to flexible scheduling as a great example. It shows what you can do if you set a goal, if you if you work toward that goal and and sort of don't give up. So and, and to your point, I think most teachers are trying to stay. They're looking for a reason to stay. And uh, we just need to listen to them and, and make sure they can do that. Councilmember Robert White, thank you so much. We know you're a busy person, so we appreciate your time. We appreciate your vision. We appreciate your work. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation and hope folks are, are tuning into this and keeping up the fight because there's we've gotten a lot done, but there's a lot more we can get done. Yes, that is thank true. You. If you are in D.C., um, November 21st, please sign up to testify and give your experience of why this, this bill matters. So thank you all. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered. That just looks like weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as EmpowerEdDC or visit us at WeAreEmpowerEd.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution and we really appreciate your time and energy.